to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, Executive Learning Strategist from Michigan Virtual. On this edition of the show, we'll address the teacher shortage and the potential impact on future learning. An informative and interesting show coming up next. to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. I'm Ann Thomas. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, Executive Learning Strategist for Michigan Virtual. And on this edition of the show, we are going to address the teacher shortage and the potential impact on future learning. So, Dr. Dave, I want you to, first of all, explain to our listeners what you are seeing with regard to the teacher shortage. Hi, Ann. Yeah, it's a big challenge right now. School districts are facing across the state and the country. Uh, shortage of teachers due to a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which the pandemic and the impact that it's had on classrooms, uh, working conditions, situations that district leaders as well as classroom teachers are having to deal with. So today we're excited to have a, a great panel of experts to help us understand what the current conditions are and some thoughts on where do we go from here. And this is an amazing panel, Dave, that you have put together of experts. Our first guest is Paula Herbart. She is the president of the Michigan Education Association. Paula, welcome to the show. I'm going to kind of introduce everyone, and then we'll come back to you and have you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and exactly what you're doing. Dr. Tina Kerr is here. She is the executive director of the Michigan Association of Superintendents and Administrators, Dr. Tina Kerr, welcome to the show. And Dr. Steve Matthews, he is the superintendent of the Novi Community School District. It is really great to have all of you here today to talk about this topic because, frankly, everybody's talking about this. So we'll start with you, Paula. Just tell, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Dr. Dave, have a great relationship with him. He and I were, um, I was the president of the Fraser Education Association when Dave Richards was the superintendent. So we have a longstanding relationship. This is my 30th year in public education. I taught 20 years in the classroom, uh, mostly middle school choir. And um, the MEA represents approximately 120,000 members retired active teaching and ESP members and student members. So people going into the profession, um, aspiring educators. And it's uh, been my greatest honor to serve as the president of this fine organization. And Dr. Tina Kerr, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you again for having us. This is a very important topic, certainly to everyone involved in this conversation. Uh, Tina Kerr, I am the uh, executive director, as you said, for the Michigan Associations. I have over 30 plus years in education. Like Paula, I started as a teacher, but then I made the decision to work towards administration and served as a superintendent uh, with Coldwater Community Schools as well as Bangor Township Schools before coming to MASA as the deputy in 2015. And so I'm in my second year, uh, almost through my second year as the executive director and uh, looking forward to continuing to support uh, leaders across the state in this role. And last but absolutely not least is Dr. Steve Matthews. Dr. Matthews, introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Well, thank you for having me and uh, be part of this august uh, panel. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I uh, came to education a little bit later uh, than most. I started out as a social worker. Um, both my parents were educators, my sister's an educator, and I decided that I needed to do something different. But I decided as a social worker that it'd be best if I got into a profession that was on the front end of problems instead of the back end of problems. And so I uh, became a classroom teacher in the great state of Texas. And then uh, we moved to Michigan and I got into uh, uh, administration in the Troy School District as the director of curriculum. Then I served for three years as the superintendent in the Grand Ledge Public Schools. And I have uh, just uh, been 11 years here in the Novi Community School District as their superintendent. And, you know, you are all so closely connected to teachers on a day-to-day basis. I kind of want to go around here first and just get an understanding of what teachers are saying to you. So, Paula, explain to us, what are you hearing from teachers as the president of the Michigan Education Association? Well, one of the things that I made my mission when I became the president of the MEA was to get into classrooms and talk to our members. This year in particular, this fall, I was up in the Upper Peninsula. I was in the Grand Rapids area, down in Dewajik, down in um, near the Illinois border, and then in the Detroit metropolitan area. And one common thread is that schools look very different than they used to prior to the pandemic. Education looks different. Um than it did prior to the pandemic, and our children are different because of the pandemic. Not a single one of us, not the educators in the classroom, not the ESP professionals, nor the students have been untouched by trauma after this pandemic, during this pandemic. And so trauma has um, played a huge role in what is happening with how people interact with one another. And so that has been a challenge for educators who may or may not have really understood the impact of trauma to a student's learning and to an educator actually connecting with a student after they themselves have experienced trauma. And so that has been a challenge for all of us in the education community on how do we address the trauma that each one of us have faced in order to ensure that our students get everything that they need and the educators have the supports that they need to do right by our kids. And Dr. Tina Kerr, what are you hearing from teachers? Um, I actually work mostly with superintendents, so I rely on my friend over at the MEA to continue to tell me, but the message from the superintendents is very clear. We're in crisis. We need some help and we need some support. I realize you're saying what we hear from teachers, but we've been framing it as educators. Because this shortage just isn't in the classroom. It's in the uh, transportation department, the cafeterias, the parapros. I mean, it's all over in the district and it's become a really at a critical point a tipping point to having a negative impact on our kids and our our leaders and our teachers are doing everything they can but they just need more qualified personnel in these open positions and dr matthews what do you think about this well i have the great fortune of being able to get into classrooms uh, almost every day uh, here in my district And uh, what I see is I see teachers who are under a lot of stress. Uh, They are trying to to meet the needs of of a variety of students in their classroom, students who have had uh, two years of interrupted education. 
uh, students who have had two years of uh, virtual, uh, hybrid, uh, in-person education. So students are learning uh, how to be a student again uh, in an in-person situation. I see uh, parents uh, having increased demands on teachers because they're worried about the education their students have received. And so teachers are put in a, in a very difficult situation of trying to, to continue to manage a classroom effectively, but also meet the variety of needs both uh, in the classroom and outside the classroom with their students and families. And Dr. Dave Richards, I interviewed a teacher last week, and he's a math teacher in Michigan, and he was describing exactly what our guests are talking about. And on top of that, this teacher was also dealing with his own family, three children, all three of them had COVID. Hmm. And so, you know, my heart was breaking as I was talking to him because I could see this stress that our panel members are talking about. So I'm going to let you kind of take it from here and follow up with a couple of questions. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the context is so important simply because we're, we're asking teachers to rise to a level of pressure, both internal and external, that we just have not been faced with in the past. All of us on this panel in this conversation have decades of experience in, in dealing with public schools and, and trying to support kids from all communities, all demographics. And the ask right now of our classroom teachers, our building leaders, and our superintendents is really pretty, the highest I've ever seen it in my 30 plus years of, of being involved in education. And so I think there's a huge uh, human variable that we have to be aware of. Um, we're very aware of the needs of the mental health needs for our kids, um, but our, our staff and our, our leaders are also falling into that need as well. And so I, I think for us, and, and we can talk about this a little bit more, it's really understanding how do we design for learning going forward knowing that this crisis is not going to just go away overnight. Um, it's not one where our teacher prep preparation programs are necessarily um, full of candidates. And so how do we make this career enticing and where kids are intrinsically motivated to go into this profession? And so um, we have a, a unique opportunity to redesign but at the same time, I think we have to be very realistic about the challenges that we're facing going forward. With that, I think uh, one of the questions that we've often talked about is where do we go from here? I would think from your perspective, districts call upon you on a regular basis to help them solve problems around the design, the systems, the supports. What are you seeing as executive director of MASA from superintendents in regards to how do we design going forward for learning when we're asking staff to shift between face-to-face -face and online so frequently, it's, it's so disruptive. How is that happening and what are you seeing? Well, as you know, Dave, you actually served on one. We had a very extensive, uh, about 90 leaders from across the state serve on our strategies for new educational learning. And it really is trying to move away from the way we've always done business into this new normal. And it seemed the work was really ongoing, but we're finding ourselves back in survival mode again, right? It's it's like we we need to know, we know we have to change, we have to do more in that learning capacity, but then how do we actually come back and get out of this pandemic and really start to be more in, I guess, inventive and innovative and trying to really look at education as we move forward. So I think there's a lot of work yet to do. So let's take a quick break. I want to continue this exact conversation and I want to hear from all of you with regard to 
you know, how do you make this work and how do you make it work for teachers? And I think Dr. Tina Kerr makes a very good point. It isn't just teachers. It's everybody that is involved in the business of education and learning. You know, what do we do in 2020 to make this better? So we will continue the conversation here on Learning Matters in just a few minutes. You are listening to Learning Matters. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards. And Dr. Dave, a great panel that you have put together today. Paula Herbart, the president of the Michigan Education Association. Dr. Tina Kerr, executive director of the Michigan Association of Superintendents and Administrators. And Dr. Steve Matthews, the superintendent of the Novi Community School District. And the conversation today centers around the teacher shortage that we are seeing in 2022. And what can we do about it? You know, what needs to happen here? And uh, Dr. Tina Kerr, I'm going to start with you. In your dreams, in an ideal world, what would you like to see change pretty quickly here to try to help out teachers, superintendents, administrators, parents, students? Oh, that's a loaded question, Anne. And uh, there's part of me that would like to see it go back to uh, the Little House on the Prairie days, where the teacher was regarded and revered as the symbol of the whole community, the school, everything worked around it. So I'd like to take that piece of the climate and culture of that time period and then fast forward it to kind of what I'd see as a super teacher that had all the technology experience and had all of the insight on new learning models but according to the community and how they're perceived they're still in that mode of it's just an honorable profession they're well respected they're not questioned all the time. For me, that's what I see is for educators. We've seen educators continue to be beat up, pushed down, and not respected. And I miss those days that we used to watch and read about of why you want to be a teacher. I knew from the age of 10 that's what I wanted to do. Now, I don't know if I'd make that same decision, and that makes me very uh, sad to to feel that way, but we've got to change the conversation. I think part of it is is has to do with that community culture piece. And Dr. Steve Matthews, respect for teachers is a big issue for you. It is. Uh, you know, teachers uh, are, are need to be seen as professionals. They have committed their lives to the students in their classroom. They've committed their lives to their colleagues. And, and it's really important for me uh, that, that we hold up this profession as being uh, uh, peopled by uh, those who really want what's best for the, the students in our community. Uh, at times, our teachers are questioned about their choices in curriculum, about their choice of instructional methodology, about uh, how they conduct their classroom. And, and I understand that the, the public needs to have some input, that the public needs to be a part of the process, that it really needs to be a collaborative effort between the community and the school district. But teachers really do, as, as Dr. Kerr mentioned, feel beat up at times because they're getting uh, so many questions about what's going on in their classroom and, and the materials that they're using. And, and, and as you look at the teacher profession, it really has been deprofessionalized over time. Uh, you know, there, there's more 
uh, uh, kind of intense scrutiny about teacher evaluations. There's intense scrutiny about the pay that teachers get. There's scrutiny about uh, how teachers conduct themselves uh, in social media. And all of those things uh, tend to, to communicate to those who are interested in, in uh, uh, being a teacher or being in the education field that it may not be as uh, appealing as it once was. Uh, and, and so that's a concern because as we try to recruit new people to the profession, they need to be, uh, uh, it needs to be communicated to them that this is a profession worthy of their investment. And I know, Paula, you probably have some thoughts on this as the president of the MEA. I sure do. And thank you, Anne, for the question. You know, one of the things that educators across the board, regardless of they're an educator in a classroom, driving a bus, in the kitchens, custodial maintenance, people want professional agency. They want to know that they're respected for what they do and how they do it. It's so critical to everything we are as human beings that people value not only the time that we put in and the commitment that we make, but the time and commitment that we put in prior to becoming educators to ensure that we are the chief pedagogists, that we're the ones that understand what students need, that we're the ones that understand exactly how when we give a class lesson or when we go back and review that it isn't just because we don't have a lesson plan for tomorrow, it's because students need to catch up or the lesson didn't go the way that we hoped it would. And we wanna ensure that students have every opportunity for success. And that's why these outside constraints, these uh, this kind of break of the social contract that we have that says, we understand that you're a professional, we entrust you to do that work, and then we will um, partner with you if there are times of need, that we as a community will come together and work with one another to ensure that not only do we have the funds necessary to do what you need to do, but that when you help us and show us what is valuable for our students, that we entrust that you will do that. You know, that that the trust that you placed on us is not devalued, that we really take that to heart. And there isn't an educator who's in this classroom right now that doesn't take that trust that families put to us to ensure that their students get what they need, that it isn't on their mind constantly to do the best that they can for those families. And Dr. Dave Richards, I'm going to kind of let you take it from here for a bit with the questioning. I know one of the things that Paula and Tina are, have talked a lot about are partnerships. And I know that's important to you as an educator and also as a, a member of the Michigan virtual team. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, the lens that we're all looking through right now is that community-based lens of how do we design for that future of learning and rely on each other's thinking. You know, the room is always smarter. And so how do we bring some of our best thinkers in the state together to take a look at the traditional model and blending that with this new model moving forward? And, and one of those areas that's really incredibly challenging is looking at the funding side of it and uh, looking at resources that we may have traditionally used in one way in the past and then possibly dedicating those in a different way moving forward. So, Paula, if you don't mind, can you take a second to talk a little bit about the opportunity that we have around funding and budget allocation, maybe some steps that we can take as a state, because it really is um, 
an investment in our future to make sure that we're appropriately funding schools and our staff within those schools. Thanks, Dave. You know, one of the things, bonuses for educators, all educators, not just classroom teachers in the first two years, classroom teachers and certified staff in the uh, third year and fourth year. But more importantly is this idea of scholarships for those students going into education. Uh, mm-hmm. More importantly, are growing our own. So if it, an ESP professional in a classroom who's an aide or someone who has worked um, in food service or in child care wants to go on and further their education and become a certified teacher in a classroom, that there's scholarship money for that and that they're dedicated. And then there's a payback for that, right? So if we say, we'll give you $10,000 for your last two years in college or your last three years in college, when you're in the professional certificated end of it, that you're committed to work for us in a public school for six years. And you've seen success in other states that have done that, that have gone before us. So this isn't a model that we would have to invent. There's examples out there where um, we can incentivize it for retention as well as interest in going into it. But I think that there's also an opportunity in regards to the narrative. Dr. Kerr, can you talk a little bit about the opportunity in partnerships? There are statewide organizations um, like Launch Michigan and others who are very interested in being a partner with associations for across the state to have this conversation on education. Can you talk a little bit about the need for that? Well, we are very fortunate. There are a lot of great uh, leaders and executives and different organizations that understand this really is a crisis and everyone's willing to come forward and start to move forward with that work. At MASA, we started the educator shortage work groups and we tried to bring in the deans and bring in the PR firms and a lot of different people. And we found that we just kept talking about things and nothing really was getting done. And that was several years ago, and now the problem has continued to exacerbate. The kind of partnerships that I think we need to have moving forward is we all need to at least be talking to each other. So if MDE says we're going to, you know, adjust the requirements for certification to help us get through this crisis right now, we need the partnerships with the universities and the colleges, it always seems everything sounds great, but when it comes for the rubber to meet the road, that's where the partnership becomes even more critical because what I've seen and, and watched happen is people work really hard to come up with this new grow your own program and then it gets stopped. The barriers start coming into place. So for me, the, the, the partnerships are going to be critical to see this to the finish line. I think we have a lot of great groups that are talking about a lot of great things, but if they're truly invested in a partnership model, it's going to take higher ed, it's going to take the locals, and in some cases, it will take our legislature and certainly MDE to allow us the flexibility that we need to actually have these partnerships have a positive impact on helping us address the educator shortage. And Dr. Matthews, with regard to this topic and being creative, what are some of the ideas that you might be hearing from teachers right there in the Novi Community School District? Well, I think certainly one of the ideas that I hear is uh, trying to support uh, student teachers instead of uh, having student teachers pay for their uh, the privilege of being a student teacher. Uh, we certainly could provide an opportunity where they would get paid, uh, much like a medical model uh, when when uh, uh, 
uh, doctors are, are getting paid for their internships. Uh, and, and so I think uh, that that would be something that would, would really spark an interest among uh, people interested in the field of education uh, that would show an investment to, to them that we really want them to become educators and we will help them uh, b- become what they can be in the classroom. So when they come in to you and they want to talk to you about how things are right now, what's the biggest complaint that they make to you? <laughs> That's a loaded question. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I think the, the biggest complaint is what uh, uh, Paula said earlier, uh, a lack of professional autonomy at times. Uh, they just don't feel like they're respected professionally, that everybody has an opinion on how they can do their job better. And, and teachers feel uh, within their classroom that they are not given that professional uh, respect that they have earned through their degrees and through their experience. Really interesting conversation. And this conversation will continue in just a few minutes. You are listening to Learning Matters, brought to you by Michigan Virtual. Dave Richards, on this edition of Learning Matters brought to you by Michigan Virtual, we are talking about the teacher shortage in 2022. And we've got a great panel put together. Paula Herbart, president of the Michigan Education Association. Dr. Tina Kerr, executive director of the Michigan Association of Superintendents and Administrators. And Dr. Steve Matthews, superintendent of the Novi Community School District. The conversation so far has centered around, you know, what's the problem? What can we do about it? I'm going to turn it over to you now in this last segment to continue the conversation about solutions. And it's important to you because you want the learning to continue. You don't want this problem to end up being a huge problem down the road. You want to fix it now and move on. Thanks, Ann. I think one of the biggest challenges that all of us are facing, whether you're currently in the classroom or in a leadership role in some capacity across the state, is how do we design going forward knowing that not only has the pandemic been incredibly disruptive, but there's also been a lot of external factors that have really shaken the system, the traditional model of what learning looks like. And so, For us uh, at Michigan Virtual, but also as a a profession, it's thinking about how do we create opportunities around learning rather than necessarily the structure of school. And that means, you know, a lot of conversations around personalizing learning. What does that look like? What systems do we put in place? How do we blend the best of a traditional environment with the best of maybe an online or um, pathways environment? And so what I'd like to do is start with Dr. Matthews as superintendent in Novi. For you, going through the pandemic and realizing coming out of the pandemic, how are you thinking about designing individual or personalized pathways for kids to create opportunities for learning going forward? You know, that's a great question. Uh, You know, here in Novi, uh, we've done a couple of things that have really uh, begun to shape our thinking as to what we're going to look like as we move forward. For example, we created a virtual option for for families this year uh, for 
for K-12 opportunities for students in Novi uh, to come to school virtually. And, and within that virtual option, we created uh, some asynchronous options plus some synchronous options. And so uh, students have the opportunity to sit with a live teacher at times, but we also recognize that some students uh, benefit uh, by having an asynchronous option as well. So they can study on their own, uh, clearly defined targets. Uh, they'll check in with their teacher. Um, and, and so we found that that's been an effective model as well. Uh, we recognize that the relationship between students and teachers is a really valuable relationship. And, and for learning to be really effective, uh, that relationship really has to be strong. But one of the things we've begun to think about is, you know, as, as you look at the way education is currently structured, it really revolves around this idea of seat time. You know, mm. students coming to school for X number of hours a day, sitting in a class for X number of minutes uh, each hour. And and maybe there's a better way of looking at it. Maybe we should look at learning outcomes. We should give students more flexibility. You know, uh, a U.S. history class uh, typically is scheduled for a year long at, at the high school level. You know, maybe you could have a shorter periods of time uh, that would give students an opportunity to take not just one U.S. history class, but but maybe multiple classes within with, within one window uh, because they, they can demonstrate the learning that they have already coming to the class with, plus the additional learning that they've gotten from the class, and, and then they can move on to something else. And, and so we're really trying to think through and think about this idea of of time and, and how much time needs to be invested in learning the material because students... Uh, outside of the classroom have uh, opportunity to learn much more than we did when I was younger. Uh, they, they have their phones that they can look up almost any fact that you want them to look up uh, outside of the classroom. And so, so maybe learning facts is not as important as helping students learn to think and to reason and, and, to, and to investigate. And maybe those are the more important skills that we should be helping students learn. And if we do that, then maybe the traditional structure of the day uh, evolves uh, and gives students more flexibility within their school day. That's tremendous feedback because the reality is this conversation is, isn't about the fact that our schools are broken. This conversation is about that society has a different ask of us. And, and we know that we have to embrace mobility. We need to embrace flexibility as we go forward. And so I, I think that that's part of the challenge to think systemically um, as school districts and as leaders and, and working in partnership with a lot of different organizations. Paula, I've been fortunate to work with you for many years, and you have always been forward-leaning in regards to instruction and thinking about how do we create environments for every child to be successful every day. The role that you have with 120,000 members statewide to try to support, how do you um, convey that message to your team, to your members of the need to think that way moving forward? Uh, thanks, Dave. That's a great question. You know, all of this is um, it's all about engaging stakeholders to ensure that we have the community's voice on this, the educator voice on that. And then to say, if we're looking at flexibility, understanding that educators also have families. Yeah. Right. So very often we forget that the teacher in the classroom has three children of their own or the principal is navigating, you know, a wife or a husband who has their own job and 
12 kids or however many. So it isn't exclusive that an educator only serves in the role as a classroom educator, right? And so flexibility is going to be the name of the game. And as as Dr. Matthews says, one of the things that we need to be thinking about is what is the critical need for demonstration of learning? Hmm. That should be the focus on what we say to students, because what my child needed isn't what somebody else needed. And he was able to, if he's able to demonstrate knowledge and understanding of concepts and the ability to think and learn and find ways to get information, couldn't that be more critical than the regurgitation of facts in a bubble dot dust? Um, you know, and I challenge us to think about those sorts of things as we move forward, because I know educators are craving the ability to be flexible in their classrooms, to to teach and work with students and families and the communities that surround them and support them in ways that are best for student learning. Dr. Kerr, we recently had the uh, Midwinter Conference uh, for MASA, and one of the words that came out during the, the breakouts was courage. And it seems like the need for courage right now for leaders to be able to step into the environment that Paula just described, you know, where there is flexibility and kids have opportunities to have choice and student agency in demonstrating proficiency. How do you lead that on a statewide basis to have that scale of conversation? Because all of our communities are very different, right? We're all facing our own challenges from our own learning community. How do you lead that as an executive director? And then what advice would you give to us as local leaders as well? Well, I think everything that Paula and Steve have said, and, and actually, Dave, you hit on it, that we're talking about systemic change here. Mm-hmm. And change is never easy on any level, let alone on something of this magnitude. And one of the things that I do say a lot is, is it takes courage. It takes courage to change. It takes courage to think outside the box. And a lot of what Paula and Steve have been talking about, those are things that could easily happen. However, we have so many barriers and measurements in place that prevent that innovation, prevent us from looking at that. So when we think about as leaders and as a statewide association, I feel it's my job to try and break down some of those barriers. Get seat time. Why does it have to be an act of God sometimes to get a seat time waiver? What would it look like to do this? So as an association, that's what we try and work on. And the same with Paula, just maybe through different lenses, is we're trying to make the job easier for district leaders and teachers in the classroom by working with statewide partners to eliminate some of these obstacles that continue to prevent us from making change. I think if we just get out of the way, and let professionals be professionals, we would be shocked at the changes that could possibly happen in each of our communities and our districts. And the other thing we have to keep in mind is education hasn't evolved like the rest of society has in regards to talent and the needs that we have in our new society and what it looks like. And I'll brag about uh, Dr. Matthews Novi's done some amazing things in partnerships with um, technology engineers with the Bosch company. A lot of that, well, why isn't that happening across the state? It doesn't take a lot of money. It just takes that act of courage to make that change and have those and build those partnerships. So we have to really be cognizant. I feel that education is critical to the economic success of Michigan because we're the ones that are producing that talent pipeline. And if we don't make the change so that our, our students and our 
um, kids that are leaving our system aren't ready for that new pipeline, then we've not done our job. So I don't feel we're broken. We just need to evolve. And Dave, I know you want to end on a positive note here. Absolutely. I always love to uh, cast a little bit of hope um, because it's just a tough topic. There, you know, People are really struggling with this every day. Um, decisions are being made on how to staff classrooms, run buses. Um, we've seen districts that can't run buses because they don't have enough bus drivers. And uh, that's challenging. It's very difficult. So I think the, the one thing I would ask, and I'll just kind of go around the panelists, what are words of encouragement that you would give to those who may be listening about moving forward and, and where do we go from here? So, Paul, if you don't mind if I start with you. Education's my family tradition. My parents were educators, aunts, my sister, my brother. Um, we all are teachers. Um, there are good people doing really good work. And we need to just not diminish what they're going through, hear what they're going through, and then say, how do we move forward better? Yeah. And you're a part of the solution. So give us your best ideas and help us ensure that we're doing what's right by students and by the educators. So good. Dr. Kerr, your thoughts? I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you to our district leaders. Thank you to all the educators in our system, um, because this has just been an unprecedented time. And to be honest, it, it's been a very thankless time for all of them. And so from the bottom of my heart, I, I, like I said, I've always loved being a teacher. I still see myself as a teacher, even in an executive role. And I have a lot of pride in that. So I do want to say thank you. And I recognize that it's been a tremendous struggle. And uh, we will continue at our association and as um, with my colleagues to support our teachers as much as possible. Thank you. Finally, Dr. Matthews. Well, I guess I would say that if you want a profession that's going to challenge you, that's going to take every uh, thing that you have to make a difference. Uh, education is that field. Uh, you can really make an impact uh, in the field of education. And my hope is that as a society, we continue to uh, hold up educators and recognize the tremendous difference they make in the life of our community and ultimately in the life of each student. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for, for your time and, and your expertise and the work you do every day to impact every child in the state of Michigan. And Dave, I'm hearing our panel say to us, to the listeners out there who are not teachers, to please embrace flexibility, have the courage to change, and show respect. So thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciated listening to your expertise. You've been listening to Learning Matters. On behalf of my co-host, Dr. Dave Richards, I'm Ann Thomas. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.